Okay, what did you do? Okay. Uh, Janice, you want to read? Let's just read, read from the beginning of the Psukim, at uh, the beginning of this week's Parsha. Okay? The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and have them take for me an offering. From every person whose heart inspires him to generosity, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering that you shall take from them gold, silver, and copper, blue, purple, and crimson wool, linen, and goat hair, ram skins dyed red, tachash skins, and acacia wood, for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the incense, shoham stones. Oil, oil for lighting. Oh, I'm sorry. It was oil for lighting. Oil. Yeah, oil for lighting. And for the incense. Yeah. Shoham stones and filling stones for the ephod and for the chosha. And they shall make me a sanctuary, and I will dwell in their midst. Okay. So basically, what, what do we see in all these verses? The Jews were instructed to take physical items, and those physical items, they put them all together with all the details, as the Torah says over here. They built a physical structure. What does Hashem say in, the, in verse 8? They shall make me a sanctuary, and I will dwell in their midst. But... That basically, that basically means that if we want Hashem to dwell in our midst, then we need to build this particular, with all these precise prescribed items which they take and which they uh, donated, and they put it all together, as we will read, from which they made the sanctuary and all the different uh, vessels of the sanctuary. And the other thing is, so what happens is, it almost seems that you're confining and you're limiting God's presence, God's divine presence specifically in a specific area, specific conditions. And when you meet all these conditions and you have a sanctuary, then God says, I will be there. But if you don't have all these conditions, you don't have all these details, then you don't merit the presence of God because Hashem says I will only dwell within the sanctuary that means that you have to make a sanctuary in order to dwell uh, for Hashem to dwell now the question is that we're going to discuss is why why is it limited uh, Hashem's presence the divine presence why is it limited to a specific place why is it limited to a specific uh, uh when we say place, which means, first of all, there are specific dimensions that everything needed to make. But furthermore, we know that the divine presence only rested in one place at a time. So which means, like in the Mishkan, for example, as they were journeying from place to place, so the divine presence was in the place where they stopped and they erected the Mishkan. What happened to the place that they were before? There was no more divine over there. That was just desert. So, and so it, it means that the, the divine uh, presence, dwelling of Hashem, was in a place at a time, in one place at a time. And the same thing is later on. Okay, so over there, at least by the Mishkan, it moved from place to place. So there, it had several places of expressing. But then when we come to the Beit HaMikdash, or eventually the Beit HaLomim, when they finally built, Shlomo Melech built the Beit HaMikdash, over there there was no movement. Over there it stayed permanently, and no other place could be a Beit HaMikdash. And this actually applies to various different laws. Various different laws meaning uh, 
like one of the main services in the temple was the bringing of the korbanot. That was the main part of the of the Beis Hamikdash and the Mishkan. So these korbanot were not permitted to be brought outside of the Mishkan. So actually, before the Mishkan was built, we find Avram built the Mizbeach and brought offerings, and we find by Matan Torah they built, uh, they, they had Korbanot, we learned last week's Parsha. So there was always Korbanot. But the minute the Mishkan was erected and they had a Mizbeach, then you cannot just bring a Korban anywhere else. So that means that the service of the Korban, which is a main service is also restricted only in a certain place. That was in the time of the Mishkan. There was periods between the Mishkan when there was a Bama, there was different different places that it was permitted. But then eventually, once the Mishk, the Beis Hamikdash was built in Yerushalayim, a person is not permitted to bring a Korban anywhere else. But here too, you see that we are restricting the Korbanot specifically in a very specific place, this is a service. Now this is a physical uh, expression of the service of Korbanot, which is taking actually a, a, a beast and bringing it as a Korban. There was also a response to that because we can actually see a physical uh, fire come down from the heavens that consumed, that we learned later on in the parish, that consumed the Korbanot. So, okay, so that's somewhat very physical. So that's somewhat understood why we are connecting it to physical, to a place, because it's all really physical. But the, there is a spiritual counterpart to the Korbanot. The spiritual counterpart to the Korbanot is what? Is prayer. Because when we pray uh, three times a day, they actually correspond to the korbanot. In addition to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it also corresponds to the korbanot. Basically, Shachrit and Mincha, which is the two daily sacrifices, the Tomid. And then what's left over, we have the Ma'ariv, which is therefore actually originally optional until it was instituted mandatory later on. But generally speaking, prayer is something which is in your heart. Prayer is a spiritual expression of the person. Now, we still find that the expression of the prayer goes through also the Beis Hamikdash. You know, when we face, when we dive in the Amida, which is the main part of our prayer, we're always facing east because we're facing Israel. When you're in Israel, you're always facing Jerusalem. And when you're in Jerusalem, you're facing the Beis Hamikdash because the gate of the heavens where the prayers go through, as we will see, is actually physically still connected to is physically thank you is physically connected to the physical base amigdash. So over here, of course, we 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 need to really understand why why would it be tied down? Why would it be tied down to something? The spiritual part of the korban, the the expression of one's closeness to Hashem, uh, one's prayer to Hashem. Why would one's prayer to Hashem be uh, subjected to these uh, limitations of a specific place going through there? It would seem okay. So, just let's look inside. Okay, these spelled wrong. You can pray anywhere. Well, 
But even when we say you can pray anywhere, which is true, but you're still saying that you got to go through Yerushalayim, you got to go through the Beis Hamikdash. So we're still connecting it to a physical place. Okay, these verses tell us that in order to merit Hashem to dwell in our midst, we must gather, gather the above materials and make for Him a sanctuary. So we got to build something, and we got to. It has to be in a specific place. But why limit Hashem to a specific place? Why is why do we limit Hashem to a specific place? Also, uh, the divine only rested in one place at a time. When the Beis Hamikdash stood, it was in Jerusalem, and even in the desert, it moved with the Mishkan, but only in one place at a time. Why? He never stayed in another place. That seems to be an unnecessary limitation. It seems to be an unnecessary limitation to have it specifically to say that divine presence, you're going to have Hashem only in those confines and only in a certain area and only in that limitation. It seems to be very limiting uh, uh, verses. And a quote here, okay, Mr. Vazir, I want to read a quote here, a verse from Yirmiyahu, chapter 23, verse 24. So what does the verse say? Can a man? Yeah. Can a man hide in secret places that I should not see him? And not see him. Do I feel? Says the Lord. Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? Says the Lord. So which means? So it would seem that wherever we serve Hashem, we should be able to merit that the vine should rest there. So because God is everywhere, and like the pasuk says there, it says, you can't hide from God. You can't. The Shem is fills the heaven and the earth. So wherever you serve Hashem, you should be able to bring down Hashem. Now, you have to, uh, you have to sometimes work hard to, to reveal, even though we say that Hashem is everywhere, but it doesn't mean that it's obvious to the eye. You can't not always tell that Hashem is everywhere. So you got to work at it. But if you're working at it, it seems Hashem is there. So why are we saying that Hashem's expression is only in the physical place, in, the, in one place, when God is really everywhere? Essentially, if you work for it and you try to pray or you try to connect with Hashem, you should be able to connect Hashem wherever you are. Why this limitation? Now, actually, so do the next, the next verse. So actually, we're going to see that uh, in the next verse, there's almost two possibilities how to interpret it on one hand, we see that it's interpreted that wherever you mention God's name, God will appear. But on one hand, it seems also to confine this, restrict us to the, uh, the Beis HaMikdash. So read the next word. This is a verse in Exodus, in Shemais, in, uh, in, um, in, in, in the portion, the end of the portion, Mishpatim, the end of last week's portion. Okay, what does it say over there? Read An altar of earth you shall make for me. You shall slaughter beside it your burnt offerings. And your peace offerings, your sheep and your cattle, wherever I allow my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. So here we're talking about Hashem blessing us. It's almost it's very similar to the divine presence. So Hashem stipulates, it says in the verse here, it seems like, wherever I allow my name to be mentioned, or in the Hebrew, I will come and bless you. Now what does it mean, any place? We're trying to say now, is it only restricted, confined to the Beit uh, HaMikdash, to the Mishkan, or anywhere where you go, awesome. So it's interesting, I just quote here from the Rashi, even though the Rebbe brings the Pirkei because in Rashi actually it seems 
Rashi seems to limit this to the place of the Beis Amigdash as a follow-up, because as you see in the verse, it says, an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall slaughter besides it your bird offering. So we're talking about the Mizbeach, okay, and wherever I love my name to be mentioned, and how is that interpreted, wherever I love my name to be mentioned? So let's do the Rashi. So what does Rashi explain over here? Wherever I love my name to be mentioned. You could read. You finish this, and I'll do the next Wherever I allow my name to be mentioned, I will come to you and bless you. In Hebrew, askir literally means I will mention. This should apparently read taskir. Taskir. What is it? You will mention. Taskir. You will mention. Therefore, Rashi, Rashi explains that it means. Wherever you mention. That's right. I will permit. Yeah. I will permit you to mention my explicit name. There, I will come to you and bless you. I will cause my shechina to rest upon you. So Rashi's words. you learn that permission was given to mention the explicit name only in the place to which the shechina comes. And that is in the temple in Yerushalayim. Their permission was given to the priest to mention the explicit name when they raised their hands to bless the people. Okay, so according to this Rashi, actually, again, this seems to restrict this to what? This seems to restrict the uh, divine presence to the... But the Rebbe brings it down actually from the Pirkei Ovis. where he gives permission in the base of Mikdash. That's right. So basically it says, when Rashi articulates that Bereticha means my Shekhinah will come there. So basically this is a follow-up to what we're going to... This is a pre-curse uh, to what we're going to learn in the next verse. But Hashem says, you make for me a Shekhinah and then I will dwell upon you. And this is what the Pasuk is saying over here too. But the Rebbe brings, the Rebbe points to the Pirkei Ovis and elsewhere which this verse is used more generally. Actually, when it says in this verse, any place that you mention my name, that any place means actually wherever it may be. It is not restricted only to the Beis HaMikdash or the Mishkan. It's Bechol HaMokom. Any place it's, that I allow. In this case, it says I allow. But over there, it seems, where any place that you mention, or an Hashem allows you basically everywhere. Uh, let me just what read here in the, in the Hebrew time. from the Pirkei Avos, yeah? This wasn't in the time of the Beis Amikdash. The Beis Amikdash was actually standing, it was only there, in the Beis Amikdash. Right. In Mishkan, in the Beis right. Amikdash. Okay, so here, but here we see, the Rebbe points to the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. Okay, I didn't bring down, if you want, you have the English sitter, you can look it up, but let me just read this over here quickly. In the Mishnah of it says, Rabbi Chalafta ben Doise Ishkvar Hanan Yoimer. So he, this, this, this rabbi, the Tana, Chalaft ben Doisa, from the village of Hananya, uh, he said as following. He says, Ten people that sit and study Torah. Uh, yeah, so it says, The divine rests amongst them. So here we're talking about the Shechina, and here we're talking about ten. Now again, the uh, Bartanura translated when there's a court, there's ten judges, but this is understood literally, and the Alter Rebbe makes a whole a whole thing that uh, from this, not only when they study Torah, as we learn in the other one, just 10 Jews together already have a very tremendous expression of the Shekhin over there. Shekhin Shri Benayim, Shekhin the Pasuk says, Al-Kim We're not going to go through all the, the, the different verses, but just to give the, the, the crux of this, how do we know even five? How do we know even two? How do we know even one person? 
So here takes away Shanamar. Wherever I mention my name, whatever you mention God's name, I'm going to bless you. So it seems like Hashem is not restricted only to the base of Mikdash. Here we're restricting Hashem to the base of Mikdash. Why are we restricting Hashem to the base of Mikdash? Hashem is everywhere. We do are able to tap in wherever we are. So why are we restricting over there? So this this is a specific the question that we had so far. We were discussing what we were discussing about this structure, the physical makeup of the Beis Hamikdash or the Mishkan, you know, as it were in their times. And now we're going to mention the second part that I mentioned earlier. More specifically, one of the main services that took place in the Beis Hamikdash was the offering of the Karbanis. That was a physical act, which was restricted to the Mikdash, to the Mishkan and Beis Hamikdash. And so, which means, so that's the physical act of a carbon we know has to be done in the Beis Hamikdash and the and 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 the, and the Mishkan, and it's the Mizbeach. And again, there is other, you know, some people say you can if you have a Mizbeach without the Beis Hamikdash, but those are. But generally speaking, you need the Beis Hamikdash. You cannot bring in any other place but in Yerushalayim in the place of the Makom Hamikdash. The spiritual counterpart to the Karbanis is prayer, but we also find that when we pray, we always face east to face Israel. And in Eretz Yisrael, we pray towards Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, we face the Beis Hamikdash. So still, notwithstanding the fact that we are saying that it's a spiritual prayer and it's a closest to Hashem, we still are limiting somehow, we are connecting it to the place, to the physical, to some physical place. Why connect it to physical? It seems to be limiting it, something which should almost seem like across the board, everywhere, and now we're saying, no, no, it has to be confined to a specific um, specific place. Um, where do we see this, that the prayer has to be, uh, still go through the Beis HaMikdash, so why don't you do the next verse? This is a verse when in Vayetzei, and when Yaakov fell asleep on the road, so this is the verse that he fell asleep in there and he dreamt, he saw the angels going up and down. So what does it say there? And he was frightened and he said, how awesome is this place? There was none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. What does it mean, the gate of heaven? This is the gate of heaven. Rashi, look at the Rashi. Mm-hmm. A place of prayer where there are prayers ascend to heaven. And its midrashic interpretation is that the heavenly temple is directed exactly towards the earthly temple. Okay. So now, you see, um, you see over here clearly that the gate of prayer, as Rashi says, goes through the temple, so they're still connected. Why does it have to go through the temple? Can it not go through directly to Hashem? Where it has to travel through Jerusalem, it has to travel through there. Why can't it go up directly to Hashem? Why this limitation? Why this physical connection? You see... The way we're learning now, what we're seeing now is to us uh, limiting it to the Beis Hamikdash, to the, that physical place, to the structure, or to the Mishkan, we consider this to be a limitation because it's only one area. But the actual, the Rebbe explains that actually this is actually the expression of the greatest presence of Hashem. And there are various different levels of the divine that we can merit. 
maybe when we at times when you didn't have that physical place you you couldn't still have the divine or anywhere but that's at a certain level of the divine of the shekhinah but if you want to get tap into the highest level the highest level comes always down to the lowest of the level so it's it's the highest whatever is highest will always come down to the lowest level sometimes it's brought down an example for that if you have a wall the bricks that are at the top will fall the furthest so that's in a that's when it falls but we're also saying the expression of the highest is actually in the lowest but the point over here is what we're going to explain is that notwithstanding that it has a, a physical confinement and restriction in a very physical way but Actually, in the base of Migdash, there were great miracles that took place all the time. The Mishnah enumerates, it says, So, while it's physical, while it's a place, while it's space, but yet, within the space itself, within physical itself, there are great miracles. We're negating the physical within the physical. Which means that one understands very easily that to confined and restrict Hashem to physical would be wrong. We can't. There's no image. There's no no physicality. And just like there's no physical body, there's also no limits that we can put on him. We can't say that he is limited by any any part or anything. There's no... We can't limit it. That's self-understood. But there's also a deeper meaning, a deeper thing. We can't we cannot not also limit Hashem in being limitless. In other words, uh, we cannot say that He's defined by being unlimited, and therefore it does have some kind of a restriction of a limitation that He's limited by un- by being unlimited. So even though unlimited is a tremendous level, but that's still going to be a uh, a, a confinement, a definition, a limitation that you're limiting in Hashem. Hashem isn't limited in limitations at all. When we have the physical, that's one thing. But when we have within the physical, we have great miracles taking place. So that shows that the physical and the supernatural, the natural supernatural, are actually both together, can left together, and in that level, that is the expression of, of, of Hashem. We want to say it like this. In, in the Beis HaMikdash, there were several miracles. There was ten miracles, it says. Now, the Talmud in the tracted Yoimah says, but there was more than ten miracles. And it brings out, it gives two examples of two more miracles that is not enumerated in the Mishnah, two more miracles. There is an ordinary miracle, and then there is a miracle of miracles, which, what, what, what does it mean? No pun intended on the, on the song. That's miracle of miracles, yeah. But, okay, what is the miracle of miracles? Why? why? Why am I saying that? So, we're saying like this. So, once we used to give, when we used to study this idea, they used to give us an example. And what is the example they used to give? So. God you know, can do everything. He has no limitations, right? Okay, so you can say, like, for example, you know, God can do whatever he wants. You know, in our mind, we think, 
Can he... Uh, whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. Okay. Now, does that mean that he has no limitations? Or perhaps we can say a limitation. So let's take an example. We'll ask a question because the Gemara says about this, that the Gemara says that uh, in a dream, sometimes people will dream like absurd, contradictory stuff. But things the Gemara says that are so contradictory, one, even in his dream, is not gonna, it's, it's, it just doesn't make sense at all. What is an example that the Gemara uses for something contradictory? He's saying having an elephant go through the eye of a needle. Just doesn't, doesn't sit right, even while you're in your dream. Which, by the way, this I heard from the Rebbe once, that the Rebbe was said, uh, I mentioned it another time, that somebody said to the Rebbe, he has a question on the Gemara. And uh, the Gemara says that he doesn't have such a dream. He had such a dream. So the Rebbe says, well, the Gemara says you don't have such a dream because people don't think about it during the daytime. He says, you must have thought about it. It's so absurd. He says, maybe you thought about it in the daytime, so you dreamed at night. But in any event... So if somebody would ask you, how does Hashem make a miracle? Can Hashem make a, a lion, or can I make an elephant go through the eye of a needle? You say, yeah, no problem. What, how does he do it? He can either squish the elephant and make it really thin that it can go through the thing, or he can wipe the eye of the needle. But the question is, can Hashem have the eye of the needle remain small, the elephant remain big and still put the elephant in? That means you know, there's, no, there's no limitations. There's not even a limitation a logical thing that don't make any sense, you know, with regards to Hashem, even logical limitations don't make, there is no limitations, period. So how do we express So sometimes you have a miracle, so you have a miracle that the meat always stayed fresh, and you had the miracle the lights were burning from uh, 24 hours, okay, those are miracles, except the miracles. But then we have two miracles that the Gemara mentions, which actually took place in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Gemara in Yom over there says that these things were not counted because they were actually inside of the temp in the in Kodesh Hakadosh. People didn't see it, and that's why we're not counting. We're counting miracles that people can see. But what were those miracles? Those miracles were such phenomenal miracles that they defied logic and illogic work together. But just just to point, the point that the Rebbe wants to make over here is when we're saying that the place of the Beis Hamikdash is where Hashem is dwelling. It's not because of the limitation only. It's the fact that the Beis Hamikdash, together with being limited, was unlimited. They dwelt together. There was this great miraculous. This was the proper place for the actual highest level of the divine. Other levels of the divine can come down in other levels, a, a different thing. But the essence of Hashem, the real Vishachanti Besoychov, the Atzmas, the essence of Hashem, comes down specifically to the Beis Hamikdash. Not so much because it's physicality. It's to show that physical and non-physical don't, can operate together. What do we mean? What is the example for that? So let's just read in the first, the verse. So, so this is also from today's Parsha, further on in the, in the, in the Parsha. Okay, everyone read? They shall make in the dark black. They shall make an ark of a case you would. It's under what I finished. Two and a half. They oh, shall. they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. Okay, so this is a very restrictive, specific measurement for the what? The for the ark. Yeah. No, this is the ark. Yeah. So the ark needs to be two and a half cubits in length, 
Now, if a person should make it change the size, no good. Doesn't work. You have to have the exact size. So, which means, now this is space. This is knowing that the Torah wants us to have space. That's what the Torah wants. Uh, so, notwithstanding the physical limitations, there was an expression of great miracles that negated the limitations. The scenario of having limitations together with negation of limitation represents a place where the highest level of the divine can rest, as will be explained. It is the, the both that they're both in there together, and that was the base of English. Not just to look at it as the limitation, but rather it's limitation together with limitation. So what? So I'm going to read, I'm going to translate the Rashi, just the, this is the, the Talmud in, in Yom HaChofal Valve, is in other places also, says like this, it says, This is a tradition in our hands from our fathers, we have received it, the place of the Oren was not part of the measurement. Further, it says, He says also, Kruvim were standing miraculously. What does this mean? So we'll explain what Rashi says over there. And we'll do, uh, let's do the, the English. Uh, Javis, you can do the English. The, the place, place of Aaron is not included in the measurement. Now, okay, this is what the Talmud says. This is quoted Talmud. Now Rashi explains. The Aaron did not take up space to diminish from the hollow space of the Kodesh HaKodesh. Okay, so we have, there was a space. The hollow space of the Kodesh of HaKodeshim was 20, 20 amas by 20 amas. As we'll see in a minute, it's reversed. It says that that it was twenty amma, twenty amas. But the aron, which we just learned, had a physical dimension that did not take up any space within. It didn't diminish anything of the space. So, if you measured from the aron to the to the end, it was twenty amas. It was ten and ten. And if you measure the iron itself, it had two and a half. So it, it had space, it had to have space because we had limitation, but yet it didn't take up any space within the place of the road. It, 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 it was spaceless. Let's uh, continue Rashi. For we learned. Oh, for we learned that, that, that the ark that Moshe made had ten almost space to each side when it was placed in the center of the Kodesh Now when we say Tanama space, we're talking about from the edge of the Aaron. Yeah. If you came to the edge of the Aaron and you measured it to each side, it had Tanamas. But the entire space of the hollow area was only 20 by 20. So it should have been 22 and a half if it was laying by 2 and a half. But here it was 20 by 20. Now this is a, a, a phenomenal miracle because this is like the elephant in the eye of the needle because it's spaced together with not space. It has to have space, and yet it doesn't take up space. How could something have space and not take up space is not something that we can understand. That means nimna nimnois. That is a superior kind of a miracle that took place. And the similar thing is, we can read the next part, the cherubs. The cherubs were standing miraculously. Why would the cherubs say Michael Maxlich? Same similar idea. The body of the cherubs that Shlomo made would stand on the ground next to the ark, one in the north and one in the south. And their wings were spread twenty almost from wall to wall, 
So it turns out that the thickness of the body was not counted. Because if, if it's 20-20 for the wings, and the wings were 20-20, where's, what, what about the space of the cherub itself? Yeah, no so we don't count for that. But again, it had, a, it had a measure. It's not as like before by the yeah. order we find the Torah, the exact measure for it. But it was measure and not measure together. And this is the idea, what the Rebbe brings out, that this special miracle and this special part of being able to have this uh, miracle in the, in the Mishkan made it a place where the divine came out. And Rebbe continues to explain also um, um, about, in, in essence, the verse says, I will dwell if you go back to the word, which is something very, very uh, commonly used all the time in the Hasidic literature, it says, you make me a sanctuary and I will dwell in their midst. It doesn't say it's dwell in the, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Mishkan, it says in their midst. Because in, in, in essence, God is in our midst, it's, and it's, uh, our midst is understood as actually in the inside of each one of us. So we all have a sanctuary that we built within ourselves. And that building of the sanctuary in ourself is actually, you know, sometimes it goes down into the, our, the lowest parts of ourselves when we turn ourselves around and we make it into a, um, a place for Hashem. Uh, that is sort of one of also the greatest miracles, to go ahead and, 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 and switch it around. The Rebbe articulates over there. And that's when we get actually the Mesa Migdash resting over there. Okay.